This is WERA LP Arlington 96.7 FM. Media on the Radio is now officially on the radio. Tune in every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. to WERA.FM or 96.7 FM in the Arlington, D.C. area. This week on the program, Matt Riley comes on to talk about making a transition from working in a small video production shop in D.C. to making it as a freelancer in New York City. There were some nights, but I'd sit down and I was so physically exhausted that I couldn't get up to make myself food. It's a great episode. He has a lot of stories to share and really some great insight about what it's like in a bigger market like New York. You can be good with people, a hard worker, or you can be a good technician. If you can do two of these things, you're golden. Media on the Radio is a podcast that features conversations with media professionals. Everyone from producers and creators of media to those who do the marketing and distribution. This series of conversations focuses on how to break into the media field as well we explore the media landscape. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening. My first job in production had nothing to do with school. It was actually through my sister who lived out in LA. She was working on she was working in the art department and I went out to visit her and she asked me if I wanted to work on a music video. It was a Courtney Love music video. And that was my first step into any kind of production. It was terrible because I didn't know like really how to operate on set. It was three or four days. And when it was done, I ended up, I came back and a buddy of mine, his father owned a production company that did work for organized labor, did media work. And when he found out that I had worked as a production assistant, I guess they assumed that, you know, I had all this experience and I did this as a regular thing. So they offered me a job um, because they were looking for someone. And that was my first job. My first, like, steady job in production was at a post-production house. In D.C., um, right? In D.C., yeah. How did you progress from there? You were working on doing, like, assistant editing and that sort of thing? I spent probably way too much time at this one job. I, I stayed way too long. I was there for eight years, and I had, it was a small office, and I had hoped that, you know, kind of loyalty would pay off. It didn't. I, I moved up to assistant editor. I never made it as an editor. But it was D.C., you know, and this is, this is what people did. And I always felt like this is my offering to, the, like, the whole political world of D.C. When, I, when it's finally time for me to leave... You know, because I was just, I was done with D.C. I wanted to do something more creative. I wanted to make something. And I wanted to go where that kind of work was being done and I could make money at it. So I quit everything and moved to New York. What was your thinking? Did you have any friends in New York or did you have any thought of like how you would break in or did you just jump in? Before I moved, I put together a list of all the contacts I knew. And I asked the people I knew in D.C. if they knew people in New York. And I put, I had compiled a list. Thinking was when I got up there, I would just start making the rounds, hit people up weekly, and just see if I could see how that would pay off. I get up to New York, I do that. I don't really get anything. Actually, I get, I mean, I get a lot of yeah, yeah. I'll call you if I need you or you know stuff like that. But ultimately. 
unfortunately, it, it never led to anything. Those that contact list, I still have it somewhere on my computer. I, <laughs> I'd be interested to look at it because I'm like, I've actually run into some of these people, but I'm actually, it, it's not. Again, this would have been the same kind of work I was doing in DC, and and it's not really what I wanted to do. So I sort of abandoned that. And when I finally needed money, someone recommended that I check out a rental house, and I got a job. And the great thing about this was that I had my hands on the equipment that, like, everyone was using. You know, I mean, I mean I'm talking everything from, like, C-stands to a 20K tungsten light. I mean, this thing's brighter than the sun <laughs> if you're standing, like, 10 feet away from it. This is all the gear that they all use. You know, I was learning it. The, the work was hell. The work was awful. Anybody who's ever worked on set, that's a lot of work, but the thing about working on set is there is some downtime between setups. When you're working in a rental house, you're constantly moving for a solid eight hours, and you're constantly lifting, and you're con- it's just it's just brutal hard work. And if if any motiv- if there's any motivation to get out of that line of work, that was it. Just- a year ago or so, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a DP. You know, he works with smaller cameras, kind of. Not the Alexas, not the big, you know, $100,000 cameras with lenses. And he's got some back problems. And he was talking about how, you know, I kind of feel like I need to make a move soon, meaning invest in a really big camera to get bigger gigs so that then he's kind of telling the camera assistant how to set up the camera and where to go so that he's not physically lugging lugging all this stuff himself and PAs are, are pulling in his gear for him. And it's an interesting thing because certain skills, and I've worked with big crane operators that are in their maybe late, mid-late 50s, that, you know, it's a very physically demanding job uh, to set it up, to pull in and and out gear. Is there any thought from your, because you did mention how how hard that labor was at at the rental house. What's your kind of target and your your mindset and how how is that progressing into kind of getting into the more creative part of the production. Just to go back really quick about the, the hard work and the guys having back problems. To give you an idea, I was working so hard, I slipped two discs in my neck and had neck surgery because I was just the, the constant lifting. There were some nights where I'd come home and the moment I sat down, like I'd be, I'd be hungry, but I'd sit down and I was so physically exhausted that I couldn't get up to make myself food. Yeah. So, so were there moments then, because you, you left your cushy assistant editing job in D.C., were there moments when you first moved to New York, like in the first couple of years, that you were like, I don't know if I can do this? I mean, if you're so tired that you can't even get up out of the, off the couch, were, were there moments where, you know, that it felt like it was too much? Yeah, but my thinking wasn't to go back. It wasn't like, I need to figure out a way out of this. Yes, there's motivation progress in, in your field, but just the way I was working at the time, like I did not want to keep doing that kind of work. In terms of that, you were you were kind of alluding to the fact of it, you did move on from that job and how did that progress and what are you doing now that's different from, from the job that you had before? There, there are people you get along with and that, that you work well with and they'll, they'll straight up ask you, you know, what do you want to do? And at the time, and even still now, my goal is 
learn lighting. I would like to one day shoot. I'd like to be a work as a director of photography on features. You know, because I still want to be. I still, I still have that goal to be a filmmaker. So they know I'm hungry. They've seen me work. You know, they've seen me hustle. I mean, it's it's slow at first. I, I had to keep that job at the rental house, but I'd call out every now and then. But I got a job here. I need to take this. The scheduling wasn't too inflexible, so it worked out for me. And I could take the days off if I gave them enough notice. And sometimes I just call in, quote, sick, and work on a set somewhere. It finally got to the point where work was coming by, right, coming through regularly, and I could quit the rental house, and I did. And it's it's interesting because the jobs that pay are the least interesting, and the jobs <laughs> that the 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 feature work, the movies, the narratives, those pay the least, and they they're the hardest. Actually, they're they're the most work. Yeah, well, we talk a lot about that on this podcast of you're in a creative field, but you're doing corporate work that is, that doesn't feel creative or how do you, how do you balance out the two? I had this conversation actually with a couple of guys I, I, I'm in with now because they, they all have bigger goals than what they're doing right now. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys, they work commercials. You work commercials to pay the bills. They don't, they don't really offer much in the way of satisfaction when it's done you're almost not concerned where it's going, but the filmmaking those are the those are the jobs where when you're done, depending on you know for the most part you're excited to see the final product you want to see where it's going to go you know and i've I've definitely worked on a couple jobs where a music video or two that I couldn't wait to see there was one music video I worked on a music video for the weekend. And we shot some really cool stuff. And I looked for it. I checked YouTube every week about the time when it should have been coming out. And this, it was a, the song was, I can't feel my face, which is a really popular song. So it's like, they really have to get this music video out there. Cause now's the time to strike. Like this is when it should be out. I saw three versions of this music video with none of the footage. And when I finally asked a buddy of mine, you know, what had happened, like, why isn't this the music video we worked on? He's like, apparently the record company killed it because they thought it was too artsy. That was what he said. Hmm. The stuff we shot was too artsy and the music, the record company didn't want it. The video I didn't, I think they ended up going with was actually kind of boring. Drilling down a little bit to the to the work that you do on set, lighting has become kind of your thing as far as I know. Maybe talk about just day-to-day, like what what's involved with lighting. And from, from my point of view, lighting has a lot to do with the tone and the it's communicating a lot about what it is that you're watching. And what have you learned over the over your experience working with, with lighting? The funny thing is about working in a rental shop is that you're surrounded by some pretty high-end gear. You know, and so you look at it, you know, like, oh, this is, this is how they light, you know, these sets. This is like, this is, this is what you need to make, you know, a commercial look this way or a film look that way. But I actually just got done working on a feature, was working with a very limited budget. So I'm working with this gaffer, very, very good guy, very talented guy. 
there was a lot of DIY stuff that we were working with. We built softboxes out of just lumber and and cloth. We built just a lot of fixtures and lit the whole thing more times than not with some homemade stuff. And it was at that point where I realized you can do a lot with very little because you don't need the high-end gear. You don't need the expensive rigs. Light is light. If you know how to work with it, you can do you can do a lot. And you can make it look good. And we made it look we made it look amazing. I mean, he got an email the other day. This job has been done for a month and he got an email the other day from the director who said that his editor called him up, told him this footage looks amazing, and then just hung up. That's it. He just got a just a quick phone call. This footage looks amazing. And that's it. <laughs> and like that's the moment you're like you, you get really excited to hear that because we're lucky to work with a DP who really really cares about the lighting. Was there a time that you could look back and say worked to execute something that really paid off? Well, it's funny because most of the jobs I've done have been, you know, indie films, and the smaller the film, the more of a scramble it is to get something done. You know, they don't have the budget to go into overtime. They don't have the money to give you a full-size crew. So often it's, it's a negotiation between the amount of time you have to complete a task versus being able to give the DP what they want, the director of photography what they want. And that's sort of the area you an electrician works. What advice would you give for somebody if you can sit them down and say, look, here's what you need to know. Come on on set blind. You can't ever be afraid to ask questions. I've worked with crews and every now and then you'll get a guy that'll come on and he's, he's obviously new, but he wants you to feel like he's operating at your level. But he's green and he doesn't know he doesn't know very much, actually. But he's eager to be there. A lot of the guys, a lot of the guys I work with, they love imparting this knowledge. They love talking about it, mm-hmm. even if it's like, "Well, this is what that. This is what a lollipop is. This is what a. This is what a two riser combo stand is." They don't mind being a teacher. You can be good with people. You can be a hard worker. Or you can be a good technician. These are these are three aspects. If you can do two of these things, you're golden. That's really if, awesome advice. So if, if you're good with people and you're a hard worker, people are going to bring you around more. They'll, yeah, you know, and they'll it, teach you the other parts. Yeah. yeah. You can be a hard worker and you can be a great technician. You can be bad with people. But those two other aspects totally make up for it. There have been moments where there have been people I've worked with who are just like, they're, they're hard to get along with Damn if they don't do a, a good job. And so that's, that's what keeps them working. Every now and then you run into somebody who's all three of the things. And basically those are the people you want to keep working for. Those are the people that I want to keep working for. And I think I've been very lucky in that I'm in touch with those guys who embody all three aspects. And you, you asked me about, you asked me earlier, actually, about the creative aspects. Some of the most creative people I've worked with 
are very much engineer-oriented. They know how the gear works. They know how the effects of setting a light over here versus over there. The more you learn this, which you learn with experience, the more creative you can become with it. There are a million ways to light a set. The creative electricians, the creating lighting technicians will know the most efficient and effective way to do it. Back in D.C., you were working as an assistant editor, and now you moved pretty heavily into the production and into the field. Is there, is there a direction you want to go? And you said you wanted to get back to potentially DPing feature films. And what's your, what's your goal for the next year or two to, to make that happen? You know, I, I, I'm still sort of in a place where I suppose you can always keep learning. And that's still sort of my goal right now is, is just lighting, lighting, lighting. But I was having a conversation with another lighting technician and he was telling me that there is no, there is no path. <laughs> there is no clear direct path that'll get you to where you're going necessarily, where you want to go necessarily. If I want to go from lighting technician to a director of photography, that path that I'm walking isn't necessarily going to take me there. Eventually, you're going to have to make a jump. Right now, I'm not quite sure what that next move is for me. My buddy who's, who's explaining this to me, he's at, he's at the same sort of impasse. He's incredibly talented. He's done a few jobs as a director of photography, but making that your regular job is not clear cut. And so a bunch of us, a bunch of the guys I work with, we're sort of in flux right now. We keep taking the commercial jobs. We keep taking the features on occasion. You know, you take enough commercial jobs that you earn or save up enough money so that you can take a feature job. Because by the end of it, you know, you're gonna you're gonna go through some of your savings just to work that feature job. <laughs> yeah, I think you need to work on your own projects. There are guys who go out and buy. They just they drop money and buy a camera, and immediately they're a DP. And for some reason, they get work. And I work with these guys. They're not. They know their camera, but ultimately, what they're shooting isn't anything special. And I'm, I'm trying to avoid that. I want to. I want to do something that, at the end of the day, like I can look at and be like, that's some of my finest work kind of taking a leap right now into freelance and you know i have i have some regular clients that are semi-regular i should say and then i i do some subcontracting as camera operator and on bigger shoots but one of the things that allison really pushed me to do is to go because i potentially will have some spare time is go apprentice with some documentary filmmaker in the area that you know just offer up your services for learning at something at another level in a direction that I want to go. And I think, you know, not everybody can do that because there's time constraints and there's mortgages and rent to pay, but I'm planning on taking advantage of that as much as I can. And I think in terms of, 
your experience, I'm sure you'll agree with this, is this is still kind of an apprenticeship industry that if you find the right, someone that's doing something on such a high level that, that you can't really learn in school, that you can really, really excel and, and, and build from there. You know, I, I've always considered myself something of a journeyman. I, I didn't go to school for this. I just started working at it. And there's a lot to be said about being trained in something, being taught something in school versus, you know, just starting at the bottom and working your way up and learning as you go. And it's it's been slower for me, I think. At least it feels that way. But I've definitely been told, I've been told that like I've come a, a long way in a really short amount of time. And I think that's just because like I'm still so very eager to learn as much of it as possible. Well, never, never losing that would probably be a good thing. <laughs> you, yeah. You're going to have to continue to learn in this industry for sure. I appreciate you doing this, uh, taking the time. Yeah, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. I'm Devin Gallagher. This is Media on the Radio. Thanks for listening. You can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio or find us on iTunes. Special thanks to Shelly Richards for her editing help on this episode. Media on the Radio is now officially on the radio. Tune in every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. to Media on the Radio, WERA.FM, or 96.7 FM in the Arlington, D.C. area. Media on the Radio is recorded at Arlington Independent Media. Arlington Independent Media has an amazing reputation for classes that are very affordable but also very high quality and offers classes in video field production, Premiere Pro editing, Pro Tools, WordPress, photography, media marketing, digital cinema, script writing, and many more. AIM also has state-of-the-art facilities and equipment for creating your own documentary films, studio chat shows, concerts, podcasts, and radio programs. If you're interested in the local radio, AIM is the home of WERA. Visit WERA.FM for more info. There are countless ways to get involved, like volunteering on programs, taking classes, and producing your own media projects for a fraction of the cost. Check out arlingtonmedia.org for more info.